You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. I've never been in a long distance relationship before. There was a point in time in, I guess the early part of our relationship where Stephanie and I were about an hour and a half apart or so, but that didn't really count because I was working at a church in Gwinnett County. And so even though I was at school somewhere else, I would come home for the last three days or so of the week. And so we got to spend a good bit of time together. So I've never really experienced that in its fullness, but I know a lot of people that have. And when you ask them about what that looks like and what that feels like, the response is almost always the same. They say that it's, it's difficult and it's weird and it can be really taxing. But when somebody is worth it, you just make it work. But then when you think about how discipleship relationships work, we like the proximity. And so we have our discipleship groups, we have coffee shop Bible studies, we have Sunday school, we have small groups, and we like to be in person to the point where at times when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to investing in one another spiritually, out of sight can often equal out of mind. But for Paul and for a lot of Christians throughout history, discipleship through distance has been a requirement. And so when we look at the New Testament, when we look at the two thirds of the New Testament that Paul wrote, all of these books that Paul wrote are examples of him having a long distance relationship with the churches that he planted and with the people that he mentored and the people that he loved. One of those such people was a young pastor named Timothy. And in the books of First and Second Timothy, we see Paul discipling Timothy from a distance. And as we get ready to go through the book of 2 Timothy over the next couple months, I think it's incredibly fitting that Paul's introduction gives us a clear understanding of how we can interact with one another, love one another, and disciple one another, even when we can't be in the same location. And this is something that's incredibly important for us, obviously now, while we're still social distancing, while we can't meet in person for worship gatherings and small groups and all these kind of things. But once all of this has been lifted, once and for all, hopefully, there's still going to be a need for God's people to connect with one another and interact with one another and to continue discipling one another, even when we're not together. And so this morning we're going to look at the danger of out of sight, out of mind discipleship and see how this season is giving us a unique opportunity to rediscover how to disciple one another from a distance. And then look at how we can continue that going even once everything gets back to whatever normal looks like beyond this time. And so we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. 
As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us, for who you are and for how you meet us where we are. And God, we thank you for the technology that makes it possible to worship from a distance. But God, I just pray that you forgive us of the times when we've neglected relationships and opportunities of discipleship simply because of proximity. God, I pray that you give us a love and a passion for one another that extends far beyond our space. And God, we just ask and pray that through this season and whatever follows it, and for the rest of our lives, that we would be committed to discipling one another, sharpening one another, ministering alongside of one another and helping one another to grow in righteousness, goodness, and in a Christ-like faith until the day when our faith is made sight and we're with you once and for all. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. When we look at this idea of discipleship at a distance, it has to start with a solid foundation. And for us, for followers of Christ, that begins with a foundation of affection. Our discipleship has to begin with love. And I wonder what it would look like if our normal relationships looked like our discipleship relationships, even something like a marriage. Let's just go with the big one right there. What if our marriages looked like the way that we do discipleship relationships in the life of the church? And so we'd have one special day of the week where we come together and maybe we learn about marriage together and we spend a little time. Maybe we have some coffee beforehand with each other. We catch up on the week. We get to know each other maybe a little bit. Maybe we even sit beside each other for about an hour and a half. And then we stand up and then we go our separate ways. But before we do, we think, you know what? This is nice. We should have something else to really go deeper in this relationship. And so what do you say Friday evenings... At seven o'clock, we'll get together and do this again. And maybe we'll do it at our favorite coffee shop. Maybe we can do it in our living room. And then Friday evening comes around and you sit down and you talk with one another. How are you doing? How was your week? Everything good? What's going on? What are your highs? What are your lows? What are all the things that are happening in your life? And then one of the spouses, you take your pick in your particular marriage relationship. One of the spouses decides that for the next hour and a half, I'm just going to talk at you and tell you how marriage works. And then after that hour and a half is over, we go our separate ways again. Now, 
That's not a relationship at all. And it's certainly not a marriage relationship. We know that marriage takes work, that marriage is a 24 seven endeavor that requires loving one another and caring for one another and then building this life together. But when it comes to church discipleship, I would say, especially in more, we'll call them theologically intentional churches where we value doctrine, where we value spiritual depth, where we value holiness, where we value a, a familiarity and a depth of understanding in God's word, the kind of church that, that we want to be and will always strive to be a church that goes deep into God's word, deep into theology, and really is concerned with the goodness of who God is and the power of the gospel. In those kind of churches, there's a tendency for discipleship to often look pretty academic almost like Jesus tutoring, where two people sit down, maybe there's some get to know you time, maybe there's some prayer time, and then one person, the more mature Christian, tends to just talk at the, the younger Christian or the one growing in their faith, teaching them certain things, diving into scripture. That goes on for about 45 minutes to an hour to two hours, depending on how deep it goes, and maybe it's a small group of people, but then we divide up and go our separate ways and don't see each other again until church on Sunday. But of course, that's the way that Paul did it, right? As he starts this, this book of 2 Timothy, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God, to Timothy, all right, time for session one. Open your Bible to the book of Isaiah. We're going to go through Isaiah, the eighth chapter. We're going to dig this in real deep. By the way, Timothy, how are you doing? I hope you're doing well. All right, let me teach you some things. No, of course not. I mean, he gets to that. Of course, Paul is teaching Timothy over the course of both of these letters. But that's not where he starts, is it? Look at that in verse two, after Paul makes his address, he says to Timothy, my beloved child. We've talked so many times before about how we as, as Christians and specifically church with a capital C in the world that we live in today, we have sanitized and formalized our relationships with one another. We've made them very polite. We've made them very friendly, but they're very surface level. We have welcome teams and hospitality teams. We have greeting times and fellowship times. We have some hangouts and some picnics and things like this so that we can maintain at least enough familiarity to feel like we're close to one another. But all the while, we don't really know one another. And we say we love one another, and, and to a certain degree, we do with, a, with at least a surface level Christ-like affection. We love each other but we don't love each other the way that we see Paul love Timothy here. And that's not the way of Christ. That's not the kind of relationship that Jesus has saved us into as brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, before Paul teaches Timothy, he loves him. And that's where true discipleship relationships start. Think about what Paul says in his letter to the church at Corinth. As he's talking about love, he says, Now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And why would he say that? Because faith and hope are founded in love. The gospel itself is rooted in love. The fact that as we read, God being rich in mercy with the great love that he loved us with. This God who is steadfast in his love poured himself out in Christ so that we could be saved by love. 
And so it makes sense that without Christ-like love and affection, there is no real discipleship. If we don't love one another the way that Christ loves us, we cannot expect to disciple one another well, especially during seasons of distance. And so I want you to think right now about your relationships with other Christians. I want you, as Redeeming Grace Community Church, I want us to think about our relationships with one another. Do we love each other? Or do we love one another? When we greet one another, is it as some friends and acquaintances who happen to come to the same church because maybe we have some shared values or some shared geography? Or when we come together as a church, are we looking at one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? As fathers and sons and mothers and daughters coming together in the presence of Jesus to love one another with Christ-like affection. I think, I think we're always moving in that direction as a church. I think we've gotten past the simple hospitality. I think we do have genuine love and affection, but there is still room for more to take back all the hindrances and knock down the walls that, that make us want to protect ourselves and our relationships, but to be vulnerable and care for one another and love one another the same way that Jesus loves us, giving up ourselves for one another, knowing one another and walking with one another in this life. But if we're being honest, there is a, a difficult side effect to this kind of community and this kind of relationship, especially in a church. And Paul experiences this hardship here in verse four. In verse three, he says, I, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And in verse four, he says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Paul is hurting because of the distance between him and his beloved friend, Timothy. This isn't just a cordial, hey, how are you doing? Paul is writing this letter because his heart longs to be with Timothy again. And we see this throughout all of Paul's letters. As he longs to be with these churches and these groups of Christians, their absence affects Paul in a way that makes him not just sad, but makes him grieve. Paul knows Timothy. He loves Timothy. He's walked with him through seasons of life and he even knows Timothy's pain. He says, I remember your tears and I long to be back with you. And he says the result of that is that he would be filled with joy. Paul says, if I could just be in your presence again, I would be filled with joy. And we should be building relationships that leave us longing in their absence. Relationships that when we're apart, whether it's for a short time or a long season, that, that it leaves a bit of a void and causes us a little bit of pain. But it's a lot easier. And I say this as someone who is really good at what I'm about to, to warn us against. It's a lot easier to play it safe and to keep our distance so that we can prevent hurt or sadness that we want to keep our relationships just shallow enough. And so if they leave, I'll be sad about it, but I'll get over it. 
if I have to change churches, if somebody has to move away, if we have a falling out, if there's any sort of difficulty, then I can just cut the ties of that relationship, let the balloon drift off in the distance, hope somebody else catches them down the road, and then just move on to make more friendships at that same surface level because it's easy and I'm protected. But this is a detriment to true discipleship because we need to know one another. We need to love one another. We need to find joy in each other's company and find longing in each other's absence before we can ever expect to see anyone grow in their knowledge of Jesus through our discipleship. Before we can ever expect to have the kind of impact on someone's life where they walk closer to Christ and grow closer to God and are equipped and established for ministry, before we can expect real discipleship to take place, there has to be a foundation of Christ-like love and affection that leaves us longing when we're not together. I hope that we are longing for one another and that we are eager for the day when we can be back together as a church. And that when we are, we'll take full advantage to have our joy filled, but also to know each other well, to love each other well, to serve each other well. And then as God may call us to all different times and places, that we would be willing to extend that love and that discipleship far beyond our proximity. But it begins with a foundation of affection. And then that moves us, of course, to prayer. I thought about doing an in-depth study about the history of long-distance communication, but I thought it'd be more fun just to talk about the ones that I've seen on TV. But you have a lot of things throughout history where people have tried to communicate with each other over the course of long distances, but they all have some negative side effects or difficulties. Like for instance, when you're doing a live stream, but you can't hear the person who is live streaming. And those are are some difficult things that we're encountering right now, but it's not new to this technology. Think about smoke signals, right? So you could use smoke signals to communicate, but what if you're not good at lighting a fire and you're in trouble, but you don't know how to light a fire and so then you can't make smoke and if you can't make smoke, you can't talk. Or what if you're really good at lighting a fire? and you light a fire too big, and it lights you on fire, and then you die. But also, pigeons. Pigeons have been used, and birds of various kinds, to communicate messages over long distances, which is crazy. The fact that people can train a pigeon to take a little thing and fly from this point to this point is maybe one of the most perplexing things that I can think of in all of time and space and history. I feel like I understand quantum physics more than I understand how a pigeon can be trained to fly from me to somebody else with a message, but also they're pigeons. And so how do you know if it gets there? How do you know if the thing makes it all the way? Or what if somebody's hungry for pigeon and they kill your pigeon on the way to its flight and then eat it and the message never gets there? But even think about good old fashioned messenger services, post office, the postal service, all these kind of things over the course of time. You give somebody a message and then they take it a long distance to deliver the message for you. Well, obviously there's a danger in that too, because we have a figure of speech that says, don't kill the messenger. Because throughout the course of history, people have actually killed the messengers. And so long distance relationship has always been difficult, but there's one form of long distance communication that's never had any issues. And that's prayer. 
And in verse three, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. There's a pleasantry associated with praying for people. And we talked recently about how times like this bring phrases into people's minds and, and help us to, to speak new things. And before we got into all this, one of the, the phrases that you heard come up on two sides of an argument that people were really heated back and forth about is the phrase thoughts and prayers, which on the surface is just a really nice thing. I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. I don't know how it became so hotly contested, but it kind of is one of those things. Although if you think about it, I don't know really what good it does me if you're thinking about me when I'm suffering, unless that motivates you to action like prayer and like doing things. But either way, it's a really nice thing to say. If you're going through a hard time, it's kind of comforting for someone to say, hey, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. And so that's usually what we default to in our relationships. We tell someone that we're praying for them. But for Paul... What he describes here is different. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. And again, we're confronted with the reminder here that discipleship is anything but a momentary meeting session. The discipleship is actually a 24-7 ongoing lifestyle, even when the two people or the groups of people are apart. And I think, unfortunately, when it comes to prayer and discipleship relationships, we normally just save that for the first meeting, the first part of the meeting of our small group or maybe the end of our small group. And so you come together for your coffeehouse Bible study, you come together for Sunday school or a small group, and then maybe at the beginning you take prayer requests and then you pray for someone, and then you go about meeting for an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever the case may be, and then we don't do any of it again until we come together a week later. But Paul says, no, Timothy, I am praying for you constantly. And the amount of time that we have focused on one another in prayer should far exceed our amount of training time. It should far exceed the amount of time that we're just sitting together, reading and discussing things. We should be and can be praying for one another constantly with an ongoing fervor night and day. As a pastor, it's my job to pray for you more than I preach to you. For our community group leaders, for our deacons, for the leadership in our church, for the members of our church, as we come together, the coming together should just be a time when we've already been prayed up, that we've been praying for each other constantly night and day. And that's an easy thing to do when we really love one another. That love that comes from a Christ-like affection is going to constantly prompt our hearts to pray. And so we should be constant in praying for one another, especially when we're apart. That's one thing where we clearly don't need to be in one another's physical presence to be able to do. And we can do it any point in time during the day and we can do it constantly during the day. And so I want to encourage you as you're thinking about the people that you are impacting their lives for the gospel, the people that you love, the people that you serve, the people that you go to church with or are in small groups with. Make sure that you are committed to be praying for them constantly. Set yourself reminders on your phone, write their names on your mirrors, put their names on the dash of your car, wherever it is that you need to be, wherever you're going to remember, put it on the refrigerator door. If you visit there a lot, especially during quarantine, make sure that the names are constantly being brought to your mind and pray for them constantly. Because as we build that 
foundation of affection. We're going to have to be moved to action. And the first action is always and should always be prayer. And then once we build that foundation and we're committed to that prayer, then it's time to fan the flame. Then it's time to equip them and to help them in their relationship with Christ. I got a lot of things on my list that I want to accomplish by the end of all this. And some of them are pretty important and big, and some of them are just personal things I've wanted to get better at that now is a good time to do it. And one of those things is building a campfire from scratch. I can build a fire. And then when we go camping, especially if it's car camping, you know, you can buy the wood from, from the little lodge and you can start up and you can get fire starters and all that kind of deal. But I want to get really good at building a fire from scratch, finding the kindling, putting it all together, building my little twig hut around it, getting the fire started, stacking it all up, sparking it with the, with the flint and then building it from the very ground up to a nice roaring campfire. In part, because I like to camp and I like to backpack and all that kind of stuff. And so I want to make sure that I'm equipped for it and I don't freeze to death if I ever go out in a cold time. There's been a lot of death in today's sermon. That's weird. Sorry. But also because the process is so cool. You start with just this little bit of kindling and these small twigs and you, you light the spark and it catches it on fire. And it's this small little flame. And then it continues to grow as you add wood. But one of the coolest things and one of my favorite things to do with fire since I was a kid is watching what happens when the small little flame gets hit with oxygen or when you just take a breath and blow some air on it and you see that small flame begin to ignite. And to a certain degree, that's what discipleship looks like. And we see that in verse five and six. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that's already there. Why? A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Paul says, there's already something there. And we find out here that Paul isn't alone in his affection for Timothy, but his grandmother and his mother had both invested in Timothy spiritually and had raised him up in the gospel and were pouring in him so that that spark that was lit by the Holy Spirit, they continued to fan that flame and grow it up inside their son and their grandson. And we recognize here that discipleship is a community endeavor. One of the things that we have a tendency to do, because this is just the nature of our relationship, is look at discipleship as some sort of spiritual BFFing, that we pair off together, that we find someone that we have a lot in common with, or someone that God has brought into our life, and we connect with one another, and that's our person, that's the person that we disciple until they're grown up enough to go find someone that they disciple. And sometimes that can even get to the point where we start to feel jealous, if we feel like we have a special relationship with someone or we've been instrumental in their faith, or maybe it's even our own children or people that are very close to us in our lives. And then we see someone else start to minister and start to love them and start to teach them things. And we can almost feel very protective of that. Like, no, 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 that's, that's my person. That's the person that I'm discipling. You need to find your own. But Paul comes in here recognizing the love and the affection that's already been given to Timothy by his mother and his grandmother. And he just adds on to what they're already doing. And it reminds us that discipleship is about coming together as the church, as a community to love and to raise one another up in the midst of a host of witnesses. 
And so Paul comes in to establish, to build on what was established in Timothy's life. And then he pushes him a little further. Paul has already been investing in Timothy and teaching him. We're going to see him continue to do that now. But he also reminds him that because they're at this distance, that Timothy has some responsibility in this as well. And we learn here as Paul tells Timothy to fan that flame in his life that was started in Eunice and started with Lois and then continued in Paul. He says, you take that on and fan that flame and build that fire in your own life. And we're reminded that discipleship isn't, and it can't be, codependence or spiritual puppetry, where you have a more mature believer that just tells the younger believer what to think, how to think, how to exist, and that younger believer just follows the more mature believer everywhere they go and is so dependent on them that they can't function apart from that person. But it's simply helping one another continue our walk with Christ. And so Paul says to Timothy, keep that fire going, fan the flame that so many other people help start. You keep that fire going. And so we do as, as disciples have a responsibility that even though God has put so many people in our lives to teach us and love us and help us and encourage us and guide us, that we have a responsibility to take those tools that have been given to us by those mentors and disciple, disciple relationships in our lives to continue that going and to use what's been given to see that fire grow in our own lives. We need to be responsible for sanctification and growing in righteousness on our own as well. And Paul tells Timothy, you have everything you need. He says, this reason I remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul says, I've taught you. Your grandmother's taught you. Your mother's taught you. We've laid hands on you and equipped you for this and you are ready to go. And so you need to continue on. And we see the point of discipleship here is not to achieve independence. We need each other. We desperately need one another to continue growing in our faith. That's the point of the church as a whole. But it is designed to help others have those tools and desire to grow in their own faith, to walk alongside one another, to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. And this is especially important in times of distance where we can't sit down with one another over and over and over again, where it might not be easy when you're feeling a little overwhelmed or, or studying a difficult passage to just be able to connect with somebody like maybe it was two months ago. And so we need to take what's been given to us and to use it well. And as far as those relationships where we have, where we're pouring into other people, we need to make sure that we're asking those questions. That maybe every time we talk isn't a three hour Bible study, but it's simple questions like, hey, what are you reading? How much time are you spending in prayer? What has God taught you this week? How are you fanning that flame and keeping it in motion? And our affection for one another should drive and move us to prayer. And our prayer should move us to pouring into one another for gospel growth and mission so that we see these things taking place in the lives of those around us, whether it's in person or through distance. And so we do have an incredible opportunity right now for some trial and error on how to do this well. And so I wanna encourage you to think about how you're using this space. Is your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ growing? Or have you found yourself kind of isolated and not communicating and, and, and distancing yourself even when you don't have to? 
Are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you praying for the other people that, that make up Redeeming Grace Community Church? And are you fanning that flame? Are you reaching out to whether through community groups or just interpersonal relationships? Are you making phone calls? Are you in Zoom meetings? Are you sending text messages? Are you sending emails? Just reminding people of the truth of the gospel. For those that are, that are following along in your footsteps as you're growing in your faith, the people that you're bringing along with you, are you checking in with them? Making sure that they're spending time in scripture, making sure they're spending time in prayer. Are you offering yourself as a resource and making yourself available anytime that's necessary? Because there will be a time when this ends and we'll get back to some level of status quo as a church, hopefully. But what's not going to change is that sometimes people are going to leave. Sometimes people are going to move. Sometimes God is going to call people to other ministries, but that doesn't mean our relationship ends. And we need to learn now the skills and the, the gifts and the talents that are necessary to be able to disciple one another at a distance so that we can continue those relationships so that we can continue that loving longing for one another's presence, but more importantly, that we can continue refining one another and sharpening one another in our knowledge of the truth and our passion for the gospel and in our ministry to the world around us. And so let's use this time well, but not just this time, but every moment that God gives us to be loving one another, praying for one another and leading one another towards a closer relationship with the God who loved us enough to give everything to save us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the love that you loved us with. That while we made ourselves far from you because of our sin, the longing you had for us as your children was so great that you stepped out of your place and into our world and offered yourself as a sacrifice of love to bring salvation to your sons and daughters. God, we thank you for the church and the fact that you have indeed called us to be together as one, to equip one another, to strengthen one another, and to love one another. God, I pray that you help us to take our discipleship relationships seriously in this call to make disciples, not simply to make converts, but to help one another grow in our understanding of the gospel and our knowledge of scripture and in our capabilities for ministry. And God, I pray that you remind us that that calling doesn't end when we walk out of the room, but that each and every one of us have a responsibility to reach out to one another for the cause of discipleship. And so I ask and pray for our church specifically and for Christians all around the world, that you would give us a real love and affection for one another, not a superficial admiration or tolerance, but a vulnerable, sacrificial love that leaves us longing when we're not together. And that God, you would move our hearts to prayer that we would be praying for one another constantly. And that through that prayer, we would then take action to yes, teach and equip and, and nourish one another spiritually, but also to be sure to give our brothers and sisters in Christ the tools they need to be able to continue growing in you, 
even when we might not be around as often or even at all. So God, we need your help to do this. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.